0: Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back or have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get key to the Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 92. As always, joined by the three amigos. We've got uh, Keith Dicker here, this green shirt, and Rich Diaz over in Montreal. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Keith, you got a new shirt
1: and you got a whale in the background. Yeah, I know. It's funny because until I met you guys, the only compliment, sorry, the only uh, comments about my uh, attire, it's never been very positive. It's always been a bit (laughs) on the... So I love it. Yeah. You know, I've, I like t-shirts. This is my respect to locals t-shirt. Does, and, does Ice uh, Cap dress you?
0: She pick <laughs> your stuff?
1: Sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah. And my mom's visiting for a few days and she, uh, if you can, if you're watching the uh, the video version, she gave me a little, like a, it's like a whale, you know, you hang out of your, on your windows, so the sun will shine through and stuff. So that's what you're seeing oh, there now. Very cute. Rich, give me some mom tips. What can you share with me?
2: uh well we figured out why the air conditioning wasn't working uh, it's because it was on econo mode this whole time <laughs>
0: she's just leaking and so in
2: I, that's right so now we're all good um next uh as tomorrow morning i'll be heading up to the country i absolutely love the woods um and years and years ago i bought some land uh you call me a prepper call me whatever you want but i'm gonna go up to the woods and chop some wood and go fishing and go swimming in the lake. It's sort of the best thing to do, really. Yeah, you um, got like a big
0: parcel land there. You said you're going to build like a big cabin or something. Well, we'll
2: see. Uh, Definitely a bunker of some kind. Um, Yeah, no, it's been since I've been actually, you know, the truth is since I read the book by Mordecai Richler called The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz, which I would recommend everybody to read, uh, it's a book about a Montrealer who uh, tries to buy some land and uh, anyway, it's a brilliant, very hilarious book. And if you're from Montreal or from, or you're from Canada, I think you'd really appreciate it. And so I read that book years ago. And then a month later, I got paid a bonus. And then within a month of my bonus, I plunked it all down on this land. And my mom thought I was absolutely nuts. Turns out it was actually a great idea. So all these years later, that's that's really my dream. But anyway, that's That's boring. Let's talk about loads of stuff. What's going on with these next Looney
0: Hour events in uh,
2: Montreal? Yeah, that's right. Bring an axe. (laughs) Bring an axe. Bring a
0: shovel. (laughs) You're welcome to come and hang out. Um, But uh, yeah, no, lots going on this week. We've got the Bank of Canada. Obviously, big announcement from them. We had the U.S. CPI data. Um, just a lot of stuff going on in China, federal government, OSFI, It just yeah, tons, tons of talk about this week. Uh, funny enough, I don't know if we actually chatted about it. We totally forgot to prep for this week's episode, but, um, we did have a Twinkie bet on the U.S. i I'm ready. You won. I've, I've, I've got it. I've got the Twinkie <laughs> you're back. You're back in Canada. The Twinkies are available. Keith, what do you got? <laughs> so
2: was it was that non-farm Non-farm payrolls, and you guessed 209 or something, and it was – oh, no, I, no, it was – you You got it right. Tell us.
0: Yeah, well, I think well, – what, what was the estimate? It was like 224. 225. I think I guessed 224, and I think it was – why? It was in low low twos. It was lower than yeah. even what I had. And there was downward
2: revisions, I think, from the previous um, month. And interestingly, which I thought was really crazy, was that it was a huge, huge contribution from the federal government. Um, which can be fine. I mean, it's neither here nor there, but I think it was 60,000 jobs were, um, were from uncle Sam, which I thought was a really interesting, very high number. Um, so it was actually not a great, uh, not a great non-farm payrolls day. Um, I don't know, Keith, if you, if you, you want to show us, is that a lemon (laughs) (laughs)
1: loaf. Well, it it wasn't a great non-farm payroll day. If, if you were betting on it and you miss by a, by a, (laughs) you know, boatload, which what I did, um, But it's kind of interesting because a a lot of the economic data come out of the US, especially on the labor market, it's been pretty strong all the time. Like it hasn't been surprising to the downside. And I think everyone will know by now that, you know, employment data can can be a bit volatile, you know, from one month to the next. But this number, it it was a miss. Like it was a very soft number. So that gives the market confidence that the Fed won't be hiking again. Notice how we keep going back and forth to that narrative and at the end of the day the fed they still hike so that this continues to be on my expectation but i uh, i completely forgot about the lemon loaf but i, I do have a date square so do you got a know date what it, square <laughs> man you <laughs> know what a date square is have yeah, you ever delicious <laughs> these things they are delicious <laughs> yeah yeah dates brown sugar um yeah, some that baking soda sounds like soda that sounds, powders that sounds like go something in with you it. get when you win the bet yeah that's definitely that doesn't count well Well, I guess I won the bet today because I'm going to eat a a date square I love date squares they're yum uh so we had
0: a big bank of Canada announcement as well obviously you know as expected I don't think anything out of the ordinary 25 basis point move from the BOC so that brings the overnight rate now to five percent uh highest since 2001 And, um, you know, I think it was interesting just to hear some of the commentary from Macklem. I think we all, like Keith and I for sure, watched the press conference. And um, basically like the headline was more like the BOC doesn't see them returning to that 2% inflation target or whatever you want to call it by middle of 2025. So they've pushed that out six months. Um, Now, again, I'd probably just caution everybody. that They also said, you know, a year and a half ago they said they weren't gonna raise rates until, you know, the end of twenty twenty three. So in terms of forecasting and predictions, I mean, let's take that with a grain of salt. Um, you know, I think that if you actually look at their monetary policy report, I think they have like annualized inflation for like next year, 2024, they have inflation basically uh coming in at two and a half percent for the year. Right. So it's not like, okay, guys, like I I would argue, I mean, they do have an inflation ban between one and three. So, like, is two and a half such a bad thing? I I would argue probably not. You know, it didn't, I mean, the BOC, what are the average 1.8% inflation over the last decade previously?
2: Yeah, it's been pretty, it's been on their target, but so was
1: everyone else, right? So that's, so it's- they, Yeah, they let's didn't. be clear here. I, I don't like the way you just worded that, Steve. No, no. <laughs> the, Jeff, the, the, the Bank the of reason, Canada achieved a one point. I think reason, it goes something like inflation was this number and the Bank of Canada happened to exist during that time. Let me just confuse it. <laughs> Rich loves that, right? But never confuse, you know, causation with correlation. That's, that's no, the me, way you were Let me let me save myself here because
0: I remember was it was yeah. I think it was actually the Fed where they said, you know, inflation had averaged just under two percent for the past decade. Hence, they ran zero rates and a whole bunch of QE uh, as an excuse. And they said, I think it was Yellen. She said, "Inflation is the challenge of our lifetimes." Was it something along those lines? Because they were hitting like one point eight instead of like two, and it's like, who cares? Money. Well, no, not only that,
2: they were starting, starting to interject, but not only that, they, remember, it was just a couple of years ago, they were talking about raising the inflation target and doing inflation averaging in order to increase sort of the, you know, run rate of inflation. And, and you know, I would just say, chalk that up for be careful what you wish for. But anyway, let's bring it. Well, the big, you can-
1: the big problem that they had for over a decade was that there was no inflation anywhere. And they just couldn't figure it out. And you know, if and you guys may not remember, but back when Greenspan was, was running the Fed, you know, he called it the uh, what do they call it? <laughs> I forget his famous <laughs> quote now. A conundrum. It was a conundrum. Yeah. In in that, you know, growth in the US in the early O's was like, well, this was after O2. Yeah. Uh, like in five and six, it was like, you know, five percent growth, five and a quarter, five and a half, and inflation, like nada. There's nothing there. And I think that's what Yellen was alluding to there a few years ago. So, you know, the big challenge of their lifetime is trying to create inflation. And as, as you said, Steve, I would like, you know, just flip it over so fast. Now they're, oh, now we have too much inflation. And again, I, I think the ego that central bankers have, I think it's enormous. Like it's bigger than, like Fonzie had a big ego, but he deserved <laughs> it because he, was, he could do cool things. And this sort of goes back. I thought this week's Bank of Canada announcement and and the presser. If you start reading between the lines, were so many awesome conflicts taking place, and you either you're aware of them or you're or you're not. And uh, maybe we'll we'll talk about some of those. But it's obviously, Steve, you picked up on one it, immediately during the presser. You were texting me and you said. And they reference population growth now, like number a number of times and, and stuff. So there, there's obviously uh, and this is a theme that Rich you've touched on quite a bit as well. Like we there's so much stimulus in Canada from fiscal spend and then from population growth. And then you know the the, the lads at the BOC, you know, they're expected to somehow offset it by raising rates, but not too much, because you don't want to, you know, hurt everyone. So I keep going back, you know, you guys joke if you're the leader, if you're heading the Bank of Canada, you would quit, that's the first thing you would do. If you weren't allowed to quit, you know, people got mad at me a few weeks ago, but I, I'd hike rates 50 basis points or 100, just shut it down, cuz if not, we're, we're going to be back in the same position we are here in another another month or two.
0: Yeah, there's some some really good takeaways. Um yeah, I think the Tiff Macklin there and and uh it was Carolyn Rogers, um They had mentioned, yeah, population growth, probably, I'm going to say at least seven or eight times, Keith. And, um, you know, like one of the questions was, so Bank of Canada said in their monetary policy report, they said, quote, the previously unforeseen strength in house prices is likely to persist and boost inflation by as much as 0.3 percentage points by the end of 2023. Um, so essentially what they were saying was that you know housing, which is the most interest rate sensitive sector, is has been surprisingly resilient. And we've actually seen house price growth this year. Um, and it was one of the reasons for them raising rates back in June and of course, again, here in July. And so these reporters are all kind of like, well, like, w- like, why are you projecting like higher house prices? Are you not surprised by this resiliency? And she basically just said, yeah, like we have this supply demand imbalance and the biggest driver of demand right now is population growth um, for, for the demand for housing. And so I've, I found that quite interesting, obviously, you know, Rich, I know you've been hammering that point home, but yeah, you know- um,
2: yeah it's just tough i mean it's like we i mean well maybe should we go over some of the stuff we talked about um yesterday for some of the people who didn't uh, listen Fire to away. our twitter yeah. spacers so i mean it's just again so that was i thought was really interesting again something we harped on was their projections for uh, gdp growth so keith's gonna touch on that but I, I just thought it was really funny that they that they still seem to skirt over the fact that they project real GDP growth to grow lower than population growth. And some quick maths will tell you that effectively they're telling everybody that they're just going to be poorer. And they actually reflect that in the monetary policy report where they say, you know, consumer spending and business investment are both expected to decrease. And I think it's important that they add on a per capita basis. I think that's 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 even more obvious. Um, I think that the in general, I think that, um, one thing that Keith highlighted yesterday. Sorry, I'm stealing it from you, Keith. I think it was that they pushed out their inflation projections again. So I thought that was also really important. Um, and yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, sorry, I'm waffling here a little bit. But Keith, you want to just save me?
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I don't remember a lot about yesterday, but the um, but what, what Rich is referring to is that the Bank of Canada's is- expectations where the economy was going to move and inflation was going to move they feel it, it's going in the right direction. it's going the direction that they that they've been forecasting but it's going to take longer to get to the end game or the final result they want basically that's that's what it is. So um you know originally they're expecting to achieve you know the job is is finished by uh the end of 2024. Now they're saying it'll maybe take place in the middle of 2025. So that's where you get that six month, you know, pushback or Richard Keith. I got a quick question for you because I
0: know the audience that's listening to this is probably gonna ask the same thing, which is okay, so if the Bank of Canada, again, this is hypothetical, if the what's your interpretation of it? The Bank of Canada is telling you we don't see us hitting our target now till another six months out. So the middle of 2025, does that assume? That the Bank of Canada because they haven't hit their target, quote unquote, uh, that they would basically hold rates at these levels until they hit that target in the middle of 2025.
1: Uh, yeah, I love the question. Uh, so right now the market is expecting that the Bank of Canada is now done again. They, they've they've reached peak velocity, maybe if one will use use that word. Um, the Bank of Canada clearly stated that they are now a data dependent from one meeting to the next. Remember, they paused in January, and then they raised by twenty five, and now another twenty five. And as they will tell you, they they think they're they're achieving their job. They're doing exactly what they were meant to do. Uh, you know, Steve, you mentioned they have a big sort of sledgehammers. They really the, the main tool that they use to do things. And whether they hike rates again, we'll we'll have to wait and see. But they they were they were hawkish, but they were soft about it. That's the way it came across. <laughs> I would say there was a lot of good questions. Like I watched the
0: whole interview uh, presser, and I, I would say like the journalist questions, I would say for maybe one of the first times we weren't actually softballs. I think they were actually some good questions. One of them, one of the guy was grilling him, being like, like, why did you rate, why did you go on pause? Was it, ir- he actually said, was it was irresponsible for you to come out and say, Hey, we're pausing in January. Cause like obviously the housing market sort of took a bit of a lift off after that. And, you know, Macklin kind of refuted that basically saying, Oh, you know, we were, our data suggested that we should sort of pull back and wait and assess. And, and, you know, we, waited and assessed. And that's why we're moving again. Um, You know, they had that someone was asking him about, hey, you know, headline inflation is at 3.4, you strip out shelter inflation, or or, sorry, mortgage interest costs, which is your sole doing, and you're at two and a half percent CPI. Should you be still raising rates in that environment? And he was like, well, no, you can't strip out one thing out of the basket, we have to look at all of the items in the basket. So he kind of I think he answered a lot of questions that were on Canadians' minds. Um, But Keith, to your point, yeah, it seems like data dependent. I don't know if you've got the Bloomberg terminal open now, but I'm kind of curious what the markets are pricing in maybe not only for this year, but like when they're pricing the first cut from the BOC. Sorry, to end the show. Just want to remind you guys, the Looney Hour live event in Vancouver is taking place July 27th at the Hollywood Theater in Kitsilano. He's favorite spot. Come hang out with us on July 27th for food, drinks, live podcasts, Q&A, pictures, questions, all the good stuff. There is a Eventbrite link in the show notes below where you can get uh, your hands on some tickets
1: looking forward to seeing you all there and we appreciate your support I'll pull that up here as we chat but I want to remind everyone that the Bank of Canada as well as the you know the Americans and the Brits Europeans you know they're looking at inflation data they're looking at you know the economy and stuff like that but they keep coming back to the strength of the underlying labor markets so the only way you're going to get demand to slow, which if you have less people buying things, uh, that will you know bring the price of things down. Uh, they, they need to see job losses or significant less job growth. Uh, so the Americans had a bit of that, you know, this uh, last last week with the employment number. And so let's continue to watch that, you know. But here on the Canada. on the jobs data stuff, funny enough,
0: Rich is um, what the public sector has expanded since so, was it since 2015 the public sector growth has grown by 40% yeah so
2: you have to be careful so this is the mistake i made and so i'm happy to, to to share um so there's different ways that you can look at public sector so there's public sector for there's something called public sector that's i mean literally everybody who gets a check from a municipal government a local government federal government whatever then there's something called public administration which again is sort of a more narrow um sliver of that naturally and then there's something called core public administration and that's from like let's say i'm looking at the number right now it's like a federal you know that you got the federal government and it's the federal government number that in 2015 was 195,000 and now is 270 so that's about 40 number of employees Yes, excuse me, sorry, sorry, excuse me. Um, Yes, the number of employees. So um, if you look at public sector, full stop, we're up uh, 20, we're up 20% over 10 years, been a huge jump. And um, and then, you know, if you're looking at public administration, there's also a huge jump. But now the quick, now the an astute uh, listener will say, oh, but it doesn't matter what the the absolute jump in absolute number matters. What matters is the share of population growth, which is a fair counterpoint. And on all three metrics, there's been a huge jump in um, in a common size number. So relative
0: to the total uh, amount of people working, Steve. Right. So essentially, yeah, government employees are obviously expanding, which tends to make again the BOC's job a little bit more challenging.
2: Well, that's um, actually they um, say that exact same thing. A little thing. bit. <laughs> well, they actually said they, I mean, they don't exactly say that, but you know, they said the upward revisions to the inflation outlook were due to more persistent excess demand, higher than expected house prices. Uh, Higher tradable goods. okay, that makes sense. That's sort of external. But so two of the three already are controlled directly by government policy. And then the other ones, they said, you know, other factors contributing to the upward revisions to consumption are tighter than expected labor market. That's interesting. Okay, that's more endogenous. But then greater pent up demand for services. And then the last one, which they snuck in there. And I'm actually quite proud of these guys for doing this because I think they're going to get some heat which is fiscal measures in recent federal and provincial budgets, Keith. So, um, and what that means is obviously the deficit spending and population growth. So they, I'm surprised they actually threw it in there. It's box two of the monetary policy report. You can, you're welcome to check it out for yourself. But, uh, but that's it. I mean, this is what we've sort of outlined for a long time. It's very difficult for the Bank of Canada to get to their inflation target when you have, you know, when they're
0: basically paddling upstream you know not to <laughs> so as a result you're going to have you know you one would imagine anyways hypothetically you should have structurally higher interest rates assuming yeah you
2: one yeah you one should oh. so you'd have your your, your something called a nairu which is another acronym that i totally forget what it is so i'm quickly looking um <laughs> it's no um, drum roll uh, uh, drum roll <laughs> i forget it's it's uh, nairu is a non accelerating inflation rate of unemployment so it's the it's it's the unemployment. It's the it's how your labor market is reacting to your inflation, mar- basically. And it, each country will have a different one. It depends on population, age, demographics, you know, productivity, what have you. And if you have a really, really a lot of deficit spending and a lot of in, um and population growth, naturally your interest rates should be structurally higher, and inflation rates are structurally higher. Is there a
1: isn't there May a room. board game where, like, you you everyone will get like an acronym? You have to try to guess <laughs> yeah, right, right out. What was
2: that game called? I can't remember. It's like some of the Balderdash. Is that it? Something.
1: Yeah, like I think, that. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe we should do a Loony Hour one. You know, with, with investment <laughs> themed ones. Uh, but this goes sort of you know back to what you know we introduced there a couple of months ago with the Bank of Canada meeting this week. I, I would suspect you know they are uh, they have a lot of frustration and now that it's starting to come through. In their reports and publications, as well as the pressers, I, I think they are incredibly frustrated you know, with trying to do their job when there's so much pushback coming against them uh, on, on, on the fiscal side. And even yesterday, after the Bank of Canada came out, you know, the you know Trudeau was out commenting on it, and so was Polyev. Um I don't know. Jack Jagmeet- Singh Singh Sing had some comments too. Yeah, he. So said they were basic- positive. They were quite positive oh, oh. towards the central bank policy.
0: No, I can read them for you. What
1: the, but what's uh, the what's the Bank of Canada's uh, what
0: are the market oh, here? I'll read things right now. Uh, it says another mortgage bombshell has been dropped on Canadian. Today's interest rate hikes put pressure on working people who are already struggling. Meanwhile, greedy CEOs contributing to inflation are left unscathed. Justin Trudeau's lack of action has left
1: you to pay the price. <laughs> Oh boy. almost uh, like the election coming up, hey? Um, but let's be real realistic here again, so that you know, everyone agrees with what we're articulating. Um, one of the the biggest single contributors to in inflation here in Canada and the, the strength of some underlying markets is population growth. It's also the fiscal stimulus, and that's coming from governments as well, as, as well as you know Canada's contribution to uh, you know most of, you know, really the Western world with their policies towards the the pandemic back in 2020, and you know governments today it doesn't matter if it's the Canadian government or the or the American Wells, and they won't look in the mirror. All of these like inflation today, it, it's not a, a not a problem. It's a symptom of a much bigger problem. And the response that governments are giving or providing you know to these symptoms for example in ottawa right now they're giving out stimulus checks or you know monthly subsidy checks you know for people uh, with lower family incomes to help with food prices and, and stuff they, again that's just looking at the symptom the symptom of inflation is because governments are spending more governments are bigger they want to be bigger and that's something that we should continue to expect because the the pendulum in Canada for the last five or six years, whatever it's been, has clearly been swinging towards socialism. Socialism is an economy that is directed by and driven by capital allocation decisions that's encouraged by the government instead of the, the private sector. You know, and, and Rich, you pointed out numerous times. You know, Canada is really a Excuse me, Steve, but it's for housing, but as Rich will tell you, there there's one economy or one part of the our economy is doing very well. Uh, then that, that is a net exporter is really helping. But we're not attracting foreign capital into the country. So so until this pendulum swings, you know, we we should expect to see this, which means you gotta expect the Bank of Canada to remain frustrated. Now, unless there's an accident of, of some kind coming, you know, maybe they, they will hike again. Steve, answer your question, uh, there are no more rate hikes expected right now to the end of this year for the Bank of Canada. It, it's There's it a small percentage, they hike a, a tiny smidgen, but the, the smidgen is not a statistical probability. And when has the market got right. for first cut? Oh, there's no cuts. They're, yeah. they're not pricing. in any. Cuts they haven't priced yet. even keep- like
0: into 2024.
1: No, twelve months
0: no, out, it's
2: still flat. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, There's one more. Sorry, again, just
1: keep
0: on the other. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, but again, I really want to emphasize that the government. Can we mentioned before? I think France is number one in the world in terms of the government becoming a part of the overall economy. Canada's catching up in developed up markets,
2: in developed markets, in developed markets. Uh, correct. Right? There's emerging yeah. markets with that are anyway. Sorry,
1: yeah. And Canada is is catching up here. You know, very quickly. And, you know, something, if, if I'm a, a private investor around the world, I need an incentive to want to invest somewhere. And, um, you know, Canada is obviously not not that attractive at this point I mean, in time.
2: Sorry, there's one angle, sorry, Keith, that you you forgot to mention. And I think that our government always forgets to mention. And it seems like everyone, I feel like I'm taking crazy bills. Productivity growth. It's also, that's the other side of that coin. Which is so a small pushback is what you in theory, one could have a large government as you could. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it, but one could have government be a large chunk of your economy if you have a significant amount of productivity growth. But obviously, usually those are not necessarily related. But and the problem with Canada is we have very, very, very poor productivity growth. And then and we have done so for a long time. I mean, I've referenced, you know, research and development spending, so I won't get into that too much. But that was that's the other point that we seem to fail to talk about. And we need to bring that and make that more of a, sort of part of the conversation is the is the productivity growth piece and and Canada's really doing quite badly and just to uh avoid any comments about me not knowing what I'm talking about which is sometimes true uh, the Nehru is the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment a theoretical level of unemployment below which inflation would be expected to rise there you go that's what it is sorry so anyway that's a please, mouthful let's... right there yeah I know
0: <laughs> um yeah but I mean you're speaking on that that front here wrapping up the sort of the boc stuff um obviously again They've talked about housing and being more resilient. I, I think what I'm seeing anecdotally in the market is things are slowing rather aggressively. Um, You know, the end of the spring market slash sentiment is starting to change once again. Um, still running into inventory issues. But, um you know, uh, interesting point too, Keith. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, OSFI was out this week. So it's the bank regulator. Uh, talking again, there's been a lot of conversation about these variable rate mortgages and what to do with these, you know, amortizations that are growing. People's uh, mortgage balances are actually not contracting; they're they're growing um, because their interest is being basically deferred and tacked onto the balance. And so, OSFI has come out this week and said we've got a proposal in the works um, that says that any of these banks that have these variable rate mortgages. That are basically, you know, the amortizations are blowing out. We're going to force the banks to hold more capital against those loans, uh, up to so basically, if if the loan to value exceeds sixty five percent loan to value, they're going to require the banks to hold more capital uh, against those loans. And so, just for those that are maybe wondering, it wouldn't have any implications on people that already have variables. So let's just say you have a variable with TD Bank and you know your your balance is growing because you're you know you're not adding anything to towards the payment because uh, you've hit this trigger rate you essentially would be fine it's moving forward uh, and it sounds like this osfi change will come in in the in probably q1 of 2024 expect a lot of these banks to change their variable mortgage product for new issuers so for example they could do what rbc does which is um rbc forces their borrowers to pay all of the interest so you can't defer the interest you have to pay all of the interest uh or you could do what scotia does which is they're, they're they literally have a true floating rate which is your 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 interest and your mortgage payment will go up uh at every bank of canada rate hike so expect a lot of the canadian banks to follow down that path um in q1
1: of of next year sort of tying into that whole, because the whole theme is about, you know, household credit, basically, I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, one item that was mentioned a couple of times during the Bank of Canada meeting this week was, and, and they were, they were f- framing it as, as a positive discussion. And I don't think it's positive at all. I think it's the opposite. Uh, they Uh They talked about how Canadians are using savings to help to supplement their spending now. So And the the reason they built this being a positive contributor was because people accumulated excess savings since the pandemic, because, you know, most people continue to continue to get paid, uh, work from home, you have less spending less money and and stuff. So you accumulate a lot of money. Uh, Not a lot. People, some households accumulated more cash and savings. But if we continue to go down this path where households, not only in Canada but in America and elsewhere, we have to use savings to supplement your day-to-day living, you know eventually the savings it, it does for now it, it gets dry. So that was something else that came up and, and it sort of led into I think it was the third question yesterday, sorry, on on Wednesday because um, this is it was yesterday. today's Thursday. We record on Thursdays, <laughs> right? And yesterday was a Wednesday. Uh, It was yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm in t-shirt mode. Check your show notes, bud. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the third question was basically the reporter was saying, you know, uh, the stress on households that's been, sorry, the Bank of Canada was sort of indicating that there wasn't a lot of stress on households. From an aggregate level, That's good point. Because that they were saying that households, you know, we're in pretty good shape because they have excess savings. And this reporter said, "Well, it's actually not the case. There are a lot of households that are struggling out there. They are using savings, you know, to to supplement, you know, their their monthly or regular spending cycle." And they also mentioned, you know, about fifty percent of Canadians are, you know, two hundred dollars away from, you know, having a challenge. And I thought it was such a great question and. You know, the question just landed on deaf ears at the Bank of Canada yesterday, you know, they didn't really get into that. But if you they want to, you know, try to become endearing to people who are watching because more people are watching it, they kind of need to be a bit more empathetic, at least to, to what's happening because it ain't ain't happening.
0: Sorry to interrupt the show again. I just wanted to make a big announcement here for our Calgary listeners. We are coming to Calgary on Saturday, July 29th. We have rented out the Inglewood Lawn Bowling Center. If you want to come hang out with Keith, Rich and myself, we have rented out the entire Inglewood Lawn Bowling Center. 20 bucks gets you admission, unlimited drinks, including booze, food, pizza, etc. It's going to be a great time. Kind of come and go as you please, but we're going to hang out in the sun, have some drinks, and do some lawn bowling. It's going to be a great time. So if you're in Calgary and you're a fan of the Looney Hour, come to our social event on Saturday, July 29th. There's tickets below in the show notes where you can get those tickets. Again, 20 bucks gets you in unlimited booze. gonna be a great time. We'll see you there. I think that kind of brings us to, you know, the the next leg of this, right? Which is like, okay, so we've talked about the Bank of Canada. You know, they've got these forecasts, which uh, again, I don't think forecasts and modeling is is overly reliable. Um, you know, we had, what, 400 PhDs at the Fed that didn't see, uh, you know, all these rate hikes or, or transitory inflation. So, it, it, you know, the, the world is a complicated place. It's, it's definitely tough to predict. Um, but you know now we've got U.S. CPI that came out this week uh, came in softer than expected, uh, below expectations. You know we can get into it. U.S. Uh, PPI producer price index came out today. Whole slew of macroeconomic data. Uh, so you know, Rich, why don't you walk us through uh, first and foremost U.S. CPI coming in uh, not only headline inflation but I believe core was also below expectations.
2: Yes. So I'm looking at now. So core, I mean, again, inflation is still positive and prices are still higher, but the rate of change at which they are accelerating is slowing. So remember, second derivative. Sorry, it's important people get that. I think often that's lost sort of in the literature. Um, Headline inflation fell to 3.1%. And core is still at four point nine percent. So again, it's it's a bit tricky because you have a bunch of components that are soaring, going in opposite directions. Stuff that I like, I always like to talk about and highlight, which is used cars and trucks on a non-seasonally adjusted basis. Month on month, they jumped, but in general, that that's been they went well, from being. A huge, can you say it again? Sorry, on, on, on car, a non-seasonally on adjusted used cars and trucks month on month rose 3.2%. But that's kind of a counter trend because we've been seeing them sort of come off quite
0: significantly. Which is funny because uh, I sent you guys that that tweet there from like, this guy's a yeah. great follow. The, he's, he's on Twitter. He's called uh, car dealership he is, guy. He's got like 400,000 yeah, followers. Yeah, but, so it's uh, funny
2: because, so my client actually sent that exact, I think that exact same tweet. So there's a bit of sort of uh, conflicting evidence here because you know the, the actual series I'm looking at it right now is up um up on the month um 1.2 i said I, I think i misspoke i said 3.2 i meant say 1.2 but you're right those car dealership numbers are actually coming in significantly they are falling down
0: so, yeah this car dealership guy says used car prices fell 4.2 percent in june the second largest wow. monthly decline in history okay wow all right that's definitely different than the
2: used used car and trucks uh cpi component for the month of June, which was up 1.2%. There you go. Okay, what do I know then? But um, but in general, I mean, we this is the same sort of story. I mean, you've got the shelter component, which we've talked a lot about. That's coming off. Um, that's coming off quite a bit. Energy is still a big drag. Something I, I really look, like to look at is sort of core services, um, and that's obviously starting to come off quite a bit. Another thing we talked about breadth and depth of the inflation. There's a series called from the uh, from the Cleveland Federal Reserve. That's sort of the median CPI number, and that's now has long since peaked, but now falling. So now it's at six point four percent. So I mean, the the story is, and then sorry, one more, one more thing is core X shelter, which is also a really important one, and that fell significantly to two point seven six percent. Um, and so basically we're getting what we've talked about, which is you know, the the worst is far behind us now. Um, and so, and we're seeing basically not disinflation. I don't I don't believe that for a second, but um, or sorry, not 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 yeah, not this not, not deflation. Not deflation, excuse me, thank you for correcting me. Um, but we're seeing disinflation and, and obviously things are slowing.
1: Keith, um, what's your takeaway? I the same thing. I mean, without going through those. Awesome numbers which he gave <laughs> us. <laughs> uh, you know, on, on the face of it, you know, core year over year it has gone from four percent down to three. So again, everything is headed in that right direction. So it's it's no so not only are the numbers headed in the right direction, uh, you know, they're they're softer than estimates. So you know, market took this as a hey, risk on, let, let, let's go. So, you know, the, the US dollar traded off quite aggressively, equities are up, credit is up, duration is up, commodities are up, like everything was just flying yesterday. And it's based on the expectation that the Federal Reserve are, is now finally going to cut rates. So this, I think this is probably the eighth time this happens, almost a year now, it was last August, yeah. when the Jackson Hole speech and you know that the market is the market the market is never wrong you know it's it's always right so you go with that um but let's remember here everyone who believes not the Fed that they are going to pause um you know that the Fed remains hawkish they they continue want to raise rates to to get that crushing of the economy they won't use that word of course but the only way to, to truly you know, sort of snuff this out is is to go in that direction. Uh, now we do have a scenario. Do we want to jump over to well, the big elephant in in the world that could yeah I do, but just so I just, deflation, yeah. or you want to stay in the U.S. for a while?
0: No, I'll leave, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of segue us there. I think like I was going to ask you because I think like I you know yeah I agree. You know, it looks like we'll get another Fed hike. It's basically penciled in at, at this point for for the month. But d- does it feel like we're kind of in this? turning point now where the data finally after like everyone's been talking about it you know the economy's gonna slowly gonna soften and i feel like we're at this turning point where like the data now is finally starting to reveal this this softness which is you know we saw the um Obviously non-farm payrolls, you know, softer than expected. You had this US CPI and basically now getting back down to three, falling below expectations. We had the US PPI producer price index today. Rets showing what month over month was like 0.1% or something. Yeah, 0.2, yeah. Yeah, so just, you know, again, incredibly soft. And then, you know, leading over to to China, Keith, which is uh, the the big macro uh, story, uh, you know, Leading into that, we've got China's property sales were down 32% year-over-year in June. uh, And after merely four months of positive growth, uh, so both CPI and PPI now point to an outright deflation uh, in China. Uh, So China's PPI, producer price index, uh, fell 5.4% year-over-year last month. And uh, Keith, you flagged as well, you had flagged uh, exports as well, had you not? Well, they're definitely the
1: big panda in the room come on come on <laughs> <laughs> oh rich come on you, you show me more love about me. That,
2: was, that, that was terrible <laughs> that was terrible oh i thought dear. so anyways carry
1: I, on it, it just came to me i wasn't even Sorry, ready I'm, for I'm, that uh, I'm off my game too today so don't don't uh I wanted to swing back to the Americans for, for one more thing. So, you know, the markets are saying the Canadians are done hiking. The market is expecting the Americans to do one more hike. And then they're expecting a cut by January of 24. So six months out, you know, that there's a cut coming. So again, I, and it goes back to this conversation, Steve. I, I think the easy days for uh, forecasting monetary policy, that is over on both the mm-hmm. upside and now the, the pause. Now we're going to get down. I think, Rich, you've discussed this before. Maybe we go into this period where inflation, it just, it's just stubborn. It stays in that 2 to 4%. I know that's a pretty wide case, guys, in, in, the, in our world. But it just stays in that 3% range, and it's like, Hey, why do we now do we officially change our inflation targeting number and so forth? But so we have that there. So let, let's put that aside. So back to the big panda here in, in the room. Um, <laughs> Hilarious. That's the sound. That, was even a, that wasn't even a soundtrack. That was a real reaction. I love that one. Um, <laughs> the panda in the room. We've been talking before about how China, like they're giving signals that they're, they're struggling. So you're, you're seeing it in specific headline news coming up all the time. Uh, we know they have a, a domestic growth problem. We also know that their banks are struggling because the central bank, you know, they're, they're lowering reserve requirements and, and things like that. We're also seeing on aggregate data in that their holding of U.S. treasuries is, has, has been trending lower. And you know, some people think, oh, they're selling their treasuries. That that's not the case. Uh, they had less U.S. dollars coming in from from trade, which goes to Steve's point about about their export machine. Uh, so when the America sorry, when the Chinese have less U.S. treasuries, it means they are selling them, and that's because they need U.S. dollars to stem or try to slow down the depreciation of the um, of the yuan of the Chinese yuan, and, and that's been happening. Quite aggressively as well so where this sort of inflation surprise can come from um and it sort of goes back to the bank of canada presser yesterday one of the reporters asked them, you know what would be a surprise for you guys and you know he went from a from an academic discussion about inflation being at one rate versus another i think the reporter was really referencing what kind of external shock could take place and my answer would have been, "Hey, it could be China." So, if the Chinese economy goes into a serious tailspin, so the little tail starts to go around. Rich pandas don't have tails. Well, they don't have tails. They're a, they a little fluffy thing. I've never looked before. What are the? You've looked they have a little, little fluffy. It's not like a long tail. Do they have a long tail or no tail? They have a small little poof thing. Poof. Poof. It's a cute little poof. <laughs> is...
2: I think that's the technical scientific terminology.
1: <laughs> we need to get help on this one. You know, we do Maybe you can on... show a picture of, of a panda's <laughs> ass here right now, so we can get a. <laughs> oh man, this is the the days of summer, right? Yeah, this is definitely uh, the dog days of summer. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. However, uh, if the, if the Chinese economy does spiral downwards, um, that exports deflation. Around the world. So when, then we could conceivably be in this period where yeah, the Canadian economy is not growing at 1% anymore, you know, the lowest point that the bank account is expecting. It goes much lower, you know, and the American growth story rolls over as well. And, and because it's if the if China goes into a tailspin, it means that they're importing inflation is coming into China, which by default means they're exporting deflation on on the other side. So that could be the wild card that would come up here. And if that's happening, then you will most definitely see the central banks in the Western world you know start to cut rates you know rapidly. So maybe there is a world we go from you know zero to five and five back now into three maybe. three and a half, two, right? and again, we we like we we think, very clearly, we live it's in a amazing, world of though, extremes. Like people,
0: people just absolutely do not believe there's any hope in hell that's going to happen. What's going to happen, sorry? That there's going to be these aggressive rate
1: cuts. I'm sharing that. There's always the possibility that I, I, anything... Because yeah, we live in... a The cent, policymakers around the world... They understand that we are at the end of this forty-year super rate cycle. It's over, and by that I mean long-term rates that went from twenty percent down to zero percent. They left them there for ten years. You know, I like to say, you know, kids went to university, and their whole university career was spent in a period with zero rates. Now they're working for five years, and they're still, you know, they're they're coming out the other side policymakers have set us up. They synchronize the whole world right now to so that we should expect market extremes in, in any direction. So, hey, if it happens, then all of a sudden, you know, mortgage rates are coming down again, you know, party on market market's steep. back, baby. Yeah, bull market is back. Get those you pre-sales
2: know. ready. <laughs> you
1: know, I, used to, I used to be a bartender. I like to now up, I own buddy. a boat.
2: That's right. It's gully.
1: But, 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 like, but, the, but back one to China, thing. though. Oh, yeah, ahead, the, the Chinese export number. And it's not just, you know, exports to a specific country. It's exports around the world for China. They they are really struggling. And that's a market, again, Canadians should be very aware of because they could have that. That could be that external factor. You know, the panda could come in and, you know, hip, hip check Canada. Oh gosh. Rich. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I was just gonna be, just be careful about the Steve mentioned a point about the, the US job n- numbers, and they did in fact come in less than expected, and which is why I had to eat a disgusting processed Twinkie yeah. thing. But I think it's important to remember there are some actually there are some key employment numbers that are actually still very, very strong. And I think sorry, just to be the counterbalance to that point, which is one, the shortages, whether it's the NFIB, the n- National Federation of Independent Businesses, they have surveys just like they do in Canada about shortages and the ability to hire workers and expectations for paying them more and expectations for hiring them, more hiring them still. Okay. Still relatively strong. There's something called the U S jobless claims. So, you know, when you go, on, uh, so there's initial claims and continuing claims. So obviously when you lose your job, you, you go to the insurance claim and you ask for unemployment insurance or EI, whatever it's called, those numbers are steady to falling. So I think we have to be very careful. And something that we pointed out uh, several at the beginning of this year, when all of those tech layoffs were happening whether it was meta or whatever twitter all these things so something called um there's something called the challenger gray christmas i don't know i think it's somebody's last name um a job layoff data series and that series again you can freely it's freely available online and it's gone it's now making fresh lows so now that so basically the announced job layoffs have are started to contract and so that, that would have, I mean, that would have surprised me, you know, just a couple of six months ago when everybody's worrying about the job market. And then the final thing is you, when you look at the, you, my favorite, the U.S. Diffusion Index for the ISM PMI services, we're, we're seeing that the employment component of that broader index is actually relatively okay and has improved over the last little while. So it's just, we're in this like weird, you know, like Keith says, it's it used to be very easy to figure out what monetary policy is going to do. And now it's a bit trickier. But to say that the labor market is sort of done, I don't know. I think that that's it's again it's a lagging indicator, and I think that there's still some strength there. Sorry, Steve.
0: Yeah, sorry, I wasn't. Yeah, I it was definitely wasn't suggesting it was done. More just like okay, I felt like it kept like beating expectations, and it was like okay, we finally had one that was like below expectations, and then you're just more seeing like again like the PPI, the CPI data coming in sort of softer than expected. Uh, We're so definitely slowing. The, There's no doubt know, about that. For or sure. ISMs coming in soft and expected, so I feel like that data, anyways, starting to to actually show up. Um, but yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I think it's a, it's a, it's a tough environment to navigate for sure.
1: I think what we need to do. Uh, this has nothing to do with what you just said, but <laughs> for the for the Vancouver event, I think we need to have a uh, an investment industry acronym. Trivia contest, contest. yes, great yeah, idea. for freebies to so throw some freebies, right? And you know, maybe the diffusion index—that's a good way to right. not sell tickets. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we're all talking about the same thing. You know that right now, like the Bank of Canada is calling for this Goldilocks moment. Uh Same thing for the Americans, the Europeans. I did have a note on what's not happening. Well, in Keith, Europe, I think by like the, the biggest takeaway
0: that I'm sure you'd appreciate is like it's kind of like, it's like this linear thinking. Right. Right. It's just like, oh, it's just, it's going to gradually slow and inflation will just gradually slow and everything's just this straight line projection based on what's been happening over the last three to six months. Um, but as we know, there's sometimes there's pandas in the room that uh, can, can, you know, bring shock shockwaves, uh, things that people didn't expect or didn't, you know, things that you can't put into a
1: model. Yes, Panda's my joke.
2: <laughs> Sorry. What do we call the Europeans? Because they're, I mean, according to the Bank of Canada, their economy is effectively stalled. Germany, which was in recession last last quarter, has continued, has I mean the IFO, another diffusion index, I think, anyway, <laughs> their very important economic indicators are coming down um you know they're seeing a lot i mean the economic surprise index which is a really really cool series which basically compares sort of what the market is expecting what analyst expectations are versus the actual data that comes out that series is, is making is basically horrendous which means that the data is coming in much much weaker than what has been expected europe's in trouble you got china not doing so high i mean really
1: it's just the us that's like holding up the whole the whole world and that right could now. be enough but and so could, traditionally, yeah, yeah you, know, the, you know, the Americans rather drag everyone down or, or bring everyone up. So yeah, you know, good what point. we, yeah, what we absolutely want to see, you know, from the overall financial health of the world is for the Americans not to have any stress. Maybe they get you know low growth periods, with everything else is worked out, and, and they'll be fine. Um, you know, and that, I think that is the best what we can hope for, so we don't experience. You know in extreme and that we get you know perfect socialism you know for the next as you know i don't think it's oh. going to happen so speaking of socialism so back in 2020 oh Here we the go. european uh, stimulus package they call it the big, the big green deal I, I think um remember it was a 620 billion euro package so at the time i think it was almost a trillion usd i think what was the uh, euro back at the time was it oh, 1 I in the 120s I think maybe something yeah. like that so it, it was a big number so remember, 620 billion euros guess how much of it has been raised so far and allocated 82 100? 82 billion
2: why sorry i don't understand don't they just borrow it from the markets and then just spend it or do they have to raise it from the cons- the constituent parties the it's it's an unfunded Uh, spending program My favorite type of fund my favorite type of program is the unfunded program so
1: yeah so it can be good or bad so for example in you know if if a government doesn't borrow as much as they wanted to and and spend it you know sometimes that that's really great um if you have this program that that's announced to help bring your economy out of the, the depths of a global pandemic when they shut everything down which which caused it to be in a position to have to put in this stimulus package, uh, and then they don't spend it. So again, it's just another example where you know, the, the Euro, it, we should not expect the Europeans to be able to provide stimulus to bring the world out of any kind of funk. So that's why it's always coming back to the Americans. And of course, right now, there's a lot of you know, loud calls you know for the Chinese to do it, because nobody wants a weak Chinese economy. It, it's not good for anyone. So, like a lot of the headline stories you'll see now over the next few days, I imagine on the weekend especially, it's going to be directed towards um, the, the Chinese over there. But to their but
2: to their credit, um, they have been doing that. I mean, it may not be enough, but they've you know they've lowered reserve requirement ratios, they've lowered deposit ratios, they've done stimulus, they've um, they're starting with their work make work programs again. Um, I mean, there's, you know, there's a bunch of monetary policy and liquidity things that they've done. Um, and they've, you know, they've told banks to, to lend. I mean, I, again, it may not be enough. I, I think one of the more interesting, yeah,
1: but it's, it's doing the same thing to expect a different result. Cause they, I mean, you know, there was no Chinese miracle. It was just debt, right? That, that's I mean, all it was. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't necessarily agree fully Steve with Chuckles that. Chuckles in the background. I, I don't necessarily <laughs> like,
2: agree with that fully, but. I think what's in, what, one thing I think is really interesting, and we haven't talked about it at all, is the youth unemployment rates in China are now higher than half a dozen European countries, and that hasn't always been the case. And I'll share that that chart. That sounds on great
0: staff. for uh, social unrest. Well, that's, that's
2: the, that's the, that's the, what is it, Keith, the panda in the room? I mean, that's the other, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. Like, I think we're abusing that. that, that it's funny when Rich does it. Steve got to hit it a bit harder
1: though, a bit, a bit sharper with, with but the panda. The, China's youth
2: unemployment is something that I think we should all sort of just keep an eye on, right? Because part of the, what that makes that system um, work is the Faustian pact between the leadership and its constituents. And the the trick is okay. We will be in control of, and we will manage our economy. But we will raise your standard of living by hook or by crook. They've raised their standard of living in in China. That's unambiguous thing. You know, they've pulled hundreds and hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. Um, and now, when you see an, a youth unemployment number starting to creep higher and higher and higher, I think it really sort of changes. It's it just I don't know what's going to happen there, but it's just fascinating. It's something I think we should definitely keep an eye on
0: man all those shutdowns the lockdowns there good idea i guess not
2: well i'll share that chart on the Substack, and you guys i mean it'd be interesting to hear the comments from people but about that but it's really interesting so i, I have
1: another uh note, uh point to my notebook for today and i wrote it early so <laughs> i was up quite early this morning driving the we One around to, to do some stuff and uh i had this brilliant idea and i wrote it down and as the day went on i'm thinking I don't know if it is such a great idea or not. <laughs> and so what I wrote down is, is that, you know, here in Canada, we should actually. So if anyone in Ottawa is listening, you know, have a think about it. Uh, there should be a referendum on a central bank digital currency. Let, let's let's put it, you know, to the people for a vote. That's my idea. And I'm thinking, you know what? I think there is, is enough pushback on this, it shouldn't be designated. To whoever you elect for your riding, who will vote along party lines anyway, who maybe they don't understand it. Uh, However, and then as the day went on here, I'm thinking, wait a second, like only loony hour people will understand what the central bank digital currency is. And it it probably, maybe a referendum won't be a strong enough tool because the way it will be sold uh, from a, a media perspective, that is not a bad thing. But I know I keep going back to the central bank digital currency. Concept, because if if we do roll into this debt problem, which I I think there's a very high probability that we are going to experience, that would be the logical, you know, next step, you know, just to step in to bail out, you know, different kinds of banks and and households and and so forth. But how would you guys do it? Like, how would you? I'm definitely not fan of. Ple- I'm definitely not
2: a fan of plebiscites on technical. <laughs> Uh, policies issues. I think the yeah. hashtag Brexit, <laughs> which was I I think that that's I mean, I, as a as a starting point of why you don't do those kinds of things. Number one, um, only those kinds of things only work in countries that have the muscle memory to do it. So it works super super well in a country like Sweden, uh, Switzerland. Excuse me, where they vote on absolutely everything: the height of the minarets, the color of the. Of the you know the color of the fire hydrant, whether you can eat bagels on a Saturday. I mean, this the the Swiss vote on absolutely everything, and in a country like that, it works super well. I think in a country like this, I I don't agree with that at all. They should just not do it. No central bank digital currencies. We don't need a plebiscite.
0: <laughs> Maybe. Well, I got a story to bring up here too. I wanted to squeeze this one in at the at the at the final hour. Uh, speaking about voting. For people and uh, having the authority to vote for certain positions, perhaps we should uh, be voting for the uh, federal housing minister, uh, who was Uh obviously appointed by uh, Trudeau. So he sent out this tweet. The only reason why I'm mentioning it is because I don't think I've ever seen a larger ratio on Twitter. Like this guy just got beat with a stick. I don't know whoever his comms guy is. Needs to be fired immediately. So the, the housing minister, Ahmed Hussein, um, he wrote a tweet, which he actually funny enough, he pinned to his profile. Uh, and he says, quote, now is the time for solutions, not political theater. While Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives are focused on cuts and far-right rhetoric, we are focused on one thing, bringing everyone to the table to get the affordable homes Canadians need built now. And then he basically wrote uh, an op-ed, which is in the National Post, in which he literally went on. The whole article was just political theater bashing the Conservatives' uh, policy proposal, for building homes and saying that it was not going to be effective and that we shouldn't blame the municipalities and we shouldn't blame the federal government essentially for the housing situations. Essentially, what for those that are following at home, Pierre has basically come out and say, hey, listen, hey, elect me. I'll get in. How I'm going to do this is I'm going to basically cut municipal budgets, the money that the federal government gives these municipalities, unless they hit certain building permit requirements. So basically you play ball and approve more housing or you ain't getting funding. So that's kind of his thing. And so this guy basically wrote this op-ed and said, that's stupid, that'll never work. We need to like, you know, join hands with the municipalities and sing Kumbaya and we'll, we'll get housing built. And like the fact that he wrote this as housing minister, which has literally done nothing for a new housing supply, house prices have doubled since two thousand fifteen since they were elected. This guy has probably the worst track record on housing uh, of any minister, and so yeah, he just got just got absolutely obliterated. And uh, you know, funny enough, looking at this, so residential—we've talked about this in the show—but residential permits right now, residential building permits in Canada. On a six-month seasonally adjusted trend, are running at the lowest levels in almost 15 years.
1: As and is there a date of the show backlog? Like, is this? It's just not enough being applied for, or is it the, no, know, the approval not, end?
0: It's basically like if you're a developer, like you're going to because when you submit that, when you submit, let's say a development permit, right? Like you basically have like so you're going to spend all that time money. Uh, and you're going an to you're going to apply for the permit. You typically have about two years to, to to act on that permit. But if you're looking out and saying, "Oh gosh," like I don't know, mortgage rates going up, uh, central bank says you know we're not going to we're going to keep raising rates and and we're going to have to hold them here for a long time. Like it's not a very appealing environment to be out there actively building housing. So as these guys are importing a million plus people into the country uh, unabated housing permits are collapsing and this guy it's just i don't know it's just completely tone deaf and uh honestly i think this guy should resign it was it was, i it was in a bit give us some
1: examples yeah give us some of the more children-friendly replies
0: Oh God. I mean, I, I mean, just the sky, this guy, I mean, anyone can go back and pull it up. I I, I don't even want to go back right now, but
2: uh... well, I have some constructive sort of addition to this conversation, which is to say, I think it's, it's important to remember that you can from a top down perspective, improve housing supply. And we're, we're actually, and uh, ironically enough, it's from a left-wing Government and the government I submitted to you yeah. as evidence. Oh, no, I was going to suggest uh, New Zealand as an example. OK, so not a totally, totally different uh, country from a cultural perspective. They have the same. They have a really, really high afford. Uh, excuse me, housing affordability is horrible there. You know, um, loan to um, sorry, house price to income ratios are similar. House price to rent ratios are similar. They borrow at the front end of the curve like they do in Canada. Um, you know, it's you argue it's, a, you know, it's a commonwealth country. Uh, mostly white, mostly Christian. I mean it's from you know it's from it's basically a former obviously former colony of the UK. So lots of similar comparable things. Uh, lots of space country the population concentrated in one or two cities. so you can see the stack and you can stack the comparables. and yet the the legislative body, the you know government in New Zealand has created has basically forced down re- rezone rezoning rules and has increased supply significantly um and now listen obviously there's a lot of work to do but you can from his position as the housing minister, affect some change in in this space so i think it's it's i i I read the article um steven i think it's just bananas what he wrote well the
0: the fact that he wrote now is not the time for political theater and literally just wrote a piece bashing (laughs) another political party like whether it was bashing the conservatives or bashing the ndp is like You're literally bashing another party, but yet you're the one that's in party for the last 10 years and you have literally done nothing. You have like the worst. It was just honestly, it was pathetic. So what the federal government Should be doing again hypothetically as housing minister is they should actually be stepping in and filling the void right now. So what's happening right is the private sector is turning off the dials. So again, you can I I would say you could probably thank Tiff Macklem for this. If your cost of construction surges, you know, 500 basis points in 12 months, a lot of projects die instantly. And so uh, the only way the private sector is rightfully stepping back because they have a they have a profit and loss balance sheet. The federal government, I think, should be filling the void today and saying, okay, we're going to build purpose rental buildings. Uh, You could repurpose empty office buildings. The Canadian government owns a ton of, of land. Uh, so they could be definitely could be building on that land. And so I think they should be filling the void there. Uh, they could then try to incentivize the private sector. There's been talks about, you know, uh, getting involved in in working in the, with the provincial governments to remove HST on purpose-built rental housing. I think they can actually remove GST as well. Because uh, what happens on when you build rental housing, you have to self-assess GST, uh, which is the, the dumbest thing I've ever thought even conceived uh so that could be removed so there's a lot of things that uh that these guys could be doing as opposed to spending their time writing op-eds and taking pictures on twitter when they build you know 11 new units in some remote town
1: so my uh i did a uh a co-op program at university my very first job when i was in university was with revenue canada gst so home. I was, yeah, I had to, I was involved with like, you know, as, as these GST assessment uh, returns, they would file. That was the official title. What I really did. I ran the uh, the office hockey pool <laughs> before <laughs> yeah, Yahoo. That's, a, that's an important job before yeah, the internet. Yeah. Before the internet, yeah, that it, was
0: a full-time job.
1: It was, I don't know. It, it absolutely was. Yeah. The commissioner and, uh, of the
0: hockey league is, uh, is, is a thankless job. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, guys, there we go. There I think we go. That's
0: a, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, to the housing minister, if you want to come on and, and you know rebuke my comments and have a debate, uh, you're more than welcome to to send us an email on the show here. Um, but uh, as always, guys, we appreciate your support. So again, a subtle reminder, our Vancouver event here on July 27th, about 75% sold at this point. So uh, still got a few tickets kick, kicking around. We'd love to meet uh, a lot of you guys. Uh, a lot of our listeners here. And so July 27th, uh, there's a link to the Eventbrite page to purchase tickets in the show notes. So go check that out and uh, we'll see you next week.